don't think people have a sense of trust anymore in who their government is and who represents them. And and I don't mean that in a, oh, government's bad sort of way. I mean, they genuinely don't trust foundational institutions. They don't trust the education system. They don't trust the media, uh, the fourth estate. They don't trust the government. Part of that accountability is the willingness to look within one's own party, to look within one's own systems and find honest answers with actual facts. You cannot, you can no longer argue that it isn't deadly. And as a matter of fact, being is how it's being pushed into a population that pretty much has zero risk uh, from a flu. That's, that's murder, that's genocide. No, don't do I tell people don't trust people ever. If you trust someone, then you get complacent. So uh, just, constantly hold someone accountable. I am really excited to share with you my new association with ControlYourHealth.Care. I have been literally searching for a solution like this for at least two decades. Did you know that over 900 plus diseases are simply due to nutrition? that problems such as heartburn, insomnia, asthma, infertility, dementia, Alzheimer's, thyroid disease, and so many more can be solved if you just correct your mineral or vitamin deficiencies. ControlYourHealth.Care has answers for you for these ailments and so many more that is based on decades of research, including over 26,000 autopsies, 10 million blood chemistries by over 15,000 holistic doctors and scientists. You will see how the right, highly absorbable nutrients that your body is craving will make a huge difference in how you feel. Go to controlyourhealth.care and enjoy 10% off through the end of November. Start now on a journey towards superior health that will literally change your life. Affects me deeply, and I think it probably affects you deeply as well, to hear these stories, to see these uh, uh, videos, and to hear it be ignored by our government is, is unacceptable. Well, my husband is from Mexico. And my kids are half Mexican. And uh, my, my son's girlfriend who's living with us is a DACA girl, right? She's yeah. DACA. And so there's a lot of issues. I'm well aware of these issues. And she can't go see her family because of, of this situation. And um, there are really good people. She's been here since she was a baby, seven months old or something. Absolutely. It wasn't her. Yeah, but they're ignoring the kid, her. They're ignoring those problems. They're ignoring the immigrants. There, there are also a group that contacted me who were here with green, or their family was here with visas and they've been here their whole life. And that was another group, but that visa is gonna expire once they are 21 or something. And they, that isn't, that's being ignored as well. So while they say, claim that they care about these immigrants, they're ignoring all these legitimate situations. And on top of that, we tell her, you know, if you go down there, sneaking back in, it, you, she can't do that because the chance of her getting raped is something like 80%. It's, and, and, and when you talk about, I mean, first of all, it's horrible. I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to seem unprepared for that, but that's just horrible to hear that. And I have a daughter. Um, we don't know what the new baby is on the way, but I have, uh, I have a wife. And the idea that any human being has to worry about their family that way. And 
know, we talk about othering all, I, I had said it earlier, but it, I, I don't ever want to other people who are in unique situations. I think that part of, for example, the DACA problem is um, they make these programs so broad that a person will go, hold on, the kid's 15, he just got here last year and he's being swept into the program as well. That's not what we said. You talked about this child who's here and who's, who's and by the way, uh, whether you're first generation or fifth generation, I don't ever want people to forget the things that make their culture unique because that's part of what makes this country unique is, is, is how much people bring in. Immigrants are wonderful. I think that, again, it's rule of law. And then most Americans understand that there are people that fall into this squishy middle ground and that those people shouldn't have to carry undue burden. But what these people don't want to see is those programs become so broad that they're abused and they're blatantly abused. And, and, and again, we get back down to throwing the brick off the freeway, right? So they go, well, it's fine. It, it, may, it most likely won't hit a car. But when it does hit a car, that becomes the face of their resistance to it. And, and maybe it's because we don't talk to each other anymore, Sarah, but there are nuances. And your story is an important one. And the rebuttals from both sides are valid. And we have to remember that when we talk as adults. But it also can't be shunted to the side and ignored. We have to directly address it as adults openly. Let's stop being children. Exactly. That, but that's exactly the point. We need to look at this in a realistic sense. But they're bringing over, I, I, I couldn't be more against an open border than anyone else because I know what's happening with the immigration all right with the trafficking I I understand and how how much human suffering is going on and they're lying to people to bring them up in here to create this illusion but uh the the issue you know that group that came to me and they they were talking to me and we we I helped get some information out there my daughter worked with them one of the college kids and he was just a great kid and what I realized is the left didn't care about them because they weren't, they, they didn't match what they, they wanted to push. The, the far right didn't care about them because they don't want any immigration, right? And these are the ones who were here since they were a baby or been here legally and then their visa expires, but they've been here their whole life. It's like, well, what do you do with these? That's just not, I mean, there's compassion that we have to have. And so they're trying to fight it, but nobody cares. The only people that cared were the people in the middle of both parties. There were nonpartisan people in the middle, but these Democrats that, that acted like they cared so much about immigration were ignoring them and didn't want any part of it. Well, it's a false dichotomy, Sarah. It's this idea that we use the people in the middle to put, uh, I'll use an example that's not that, but I think is very um, poignant. Washington, DC. Washington, D.C. will and should never be a state. That is scary for someone to think that the capital of our federal government, which was designed to be not a state and not have that power, should be given the same power of, I don't know, Montana. That's ridiculous. Um, I think that when you talk about, uh, you know, during an election, so people will sit here and say, okay, well, they should be made a state. And then on the other side, their stupid little license plates say no taxation without representation. And they push back and forth on this, but they never really get to what the problem of that issue is. And the real problem is, is that you do have people who live in a district who don't have a, Congress, a member of Congress. That's wrong. We can fix that without turning around and doing one of the two extremes, which is ignore them 
or turn around and give them unprecedented power, right? Because once you do that, what keeps New York City from doing it, so forth and so on. And I think that's what people, this false dichotomy on um, on, on the DACA program or on people who are uh, whatever you want to name them. Exactly. But the people who fall in that middle and then they're forced to choose. So they're they go. Well, you have the Democrats kind of whistling at them. Come on, guys, come to us. And uh, but, oh, we got to include everybody. And they're going, well, yeah, but we're very unique and we want to be counted differently. And they go, no, 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 everybody. But come on. And they start to trend over that way. And then conservatives go, we don't want that. Oh, but hey, you have a college degree or you want to go in the military. Sure. Come on over here. Come on. Come on. That's ridiculous. It's a false dichotomy. There are things that are in the middle sometimes, and you can say them without sounding like you're not tough on border security. You can say it without saying that, you know, you hate immigrants. There is a middle ground on certain issues, but it isn't a middle ground like people think. It isn't a compromise. It's a very specific situation that requires specific thought. In other words, acting like adults acting like adults like we don't have a free-for-all down there for human trafficking if you cared so much about covid you wouldn't restrict the flights coming in but you could just walk through our border without it's just ridiculous if i want to travel around the country after they finally do and they will put in the mandates for that uh the best way i could do it is by turning around and sneaking across the border and coming back i mean they'll fly me wherever they want in the country it'd be wonderful that's exactly that's my point it's become like you said it's not adults talking and no. we need and what what why i use that example is because it was the the reasonable adults from both parties willing to talk and saying wait a minute this is a group of people that don't fit these other extremes and let's just take care of them but i also uh i'm very upset and i'm going to tell you the trafficking issue and the fact that my daughter-in-law can't go visit her people because she'd have to sneak back in and her chance of getting raped is like 80%. The chance that these children and they're, and they're, they know that they're being bought for $3,500 a child. So the, cha- the, the problem that that's happening right underneath our noses and they don't care is um, couldn't, couldn't be worse. I mean, I, what it makes me believe is that they're behind this. That they're doing it on purpose because why else would you allow human trafficking at this level to occur and you knew about it without being behind it somehow you know it's interesting when people talk about and here as you're talking about it you know you said earlier it's it's not everything has to be the conspiracy that everybody thinks it is a conspiracy can be it's it's really just criminal activity between multiple people right that's hidden um, or, the, or to commit a crime. And everybody I know jumped on, and I don't want to bring up a bunch of previous conspiracies, but they talk about child trafficking like they're isolated incidents, like some random weirdo and sicko goes on the internet and finds some other willing random sicko and they do something. There are pipelines for this, and they act like they don't exist and that people wouldn't cover them up, but then I don't know, you find a CNN producer who, you know, was, was committing horrendous crimes. And you think all along, well, obviously that person knew where to find those people. So anytime they might've had a lead, how often would he have steered them in a different blatant direction that they could nab somebody who was an idiot, but not nabbing the people who were actually a part of the pipeline. These things don't pop out of nowhere. So 
Now that person spent years covering up for that. Well, if that can happen in the media, how much does it happen in government? Uh, and it doesn't have to be a secret cabal that's running it. It just takes a couple of immigration people who, uh, and by the way, 1% of everybody is bad, right? That uh, all I, Not all cops are great. 99% of them are probably great. And you have your 1%, same with the military, same with doctors, same with anyone. There are probably your 1% in the Border Patrol who do allow drugs and people to be uh, uh, shipped around. And do you think they cover it up? Yes, absolutely. It's not a question of if, it's a question of how often. Well, we know what's in, infiltrated, right? We know we know absolutely. Catholic priests are infiltrated. We know that for a fact. Yes. Victor Avala, who was is a um, previous federal agent who specialized in human trafficking, came on my show. And he said that there were a number of times where he got too close to positions of people in positions of power and they called him off and he couldn't follow through on his investigations, you know, and you get to gets to the Epstein case, right? How many powerful people are connected to that? So I don't want to put you on a hot seat that you're not, you know, this is a hard issue, but these are the kind of. No, I can give you a great example of this, actually. Uh, when I was uh, stationed in Zabul, Afghanistan, the governor um, turned around of that province, uh, and I'll say things I can say. I'll just say this. We were regularly told that the little boys that they kept near them, uh, I believe they call them bocce boys, uh, but Dan, yes. and we were told that we were not allowed to call out the blatant abuse of children because they were helping us fight terrorists or they were helping keep a region uh together it's a part of their culture we were told oh gosh look morally you were either right or you were wrong and i recognize that projecting uh moral certainties into other areas is dangerous because that's not uh but you know we can choose who we're friends with and there are certain things that i think are the line now, you would think that murdering uh, people is that line. You go, well, they're murdering people on a terrorist site, so we'll deal with child molesters. And I would say, uh, I'd say kill them all and let God sort them out. Because people who touch children have, have no, no place in this world. And if that's who we have to ally, ally ourselves with, I, I think that uh, then it's not worth fighting the battle. Because those are the people we should never, never allow and and, and again, my point is, is that we do allow, we do make these decisions that the enemy of my enemy is my friend, no matter what my enemy does. And that's, that's ridiculous that you lose any moral uh, argument you have or justification you have for your behavior. There are always going to be casualties in war and there's going to be civilians that are lost and you do your best. You, you do a roof knocker like Israel does, but you cannot turn around and sit here and abandon uh, your moral compass uh, for any reason. And we do that all too often in the name of the greater good. That's exactly right. And then they get to a point where you lose your, your compass altogether. Yes. And then all of a sudden it isn't such a big deal to ignore, I don't know, a virus released around the world. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's why the Nuremberg Code 2.0 is so important. Well, let's, let's talk about, because you have extensive military experience. So I want to talk about Afghanistan. What are your sure. thoughts on Afghanistan? Are you asking what my thoughts are on the on the abandonment of yes. our we allied... still have troops. 
Americans. We still have troops. We still have American school children there. That's yes. We still have. I don't know if troops are there, but American school Americans. There's still people and abandoned. I have yet to see a single news story about that. No one is out in California asking those administrators. Now, if they've come back in the interim. Uh, I would argue that, okay, we haven't heard about that, but you'd think that would be a big story as well. So the fact that they wouldn't even show that uh, is just tells you it's either way. No one's, have you heard anyone interviewed any American that's been dragged out of there? Well, I can tell you one thing. I was at the time that all that was exploding and I was covering and I had different um, people who served in Afghanistan contact me. It was a lot of private, you know, flights going out. And I was, I had different channels I was talking to, but I think I got the, some of the best information when I just went to a restaurant and had breakfast and there was a woman who was our, our waitress who was from Afghanistan and they, they got their parents out of there like three months ago, but they still have a lot of family members there. And she was saying, it was just out of the blue. I don't think I've ever had just somebody from Afghanistan. It was, it was so timely, but she said that it's, there are people being killed all over the streets. She says there's dead people everywhere on the streets. And that's what her family members are telling her. And it was a bloodbath. So I had the opportunity while that was all happening to have a unique perspective. Um, I can't get into all of it, but I can tell you that I was uh, on. I was communicating with old interpreters and other people I had. Um, there was a very unique situation. I had people reaching out to me saying, we have pilots that are stuck. We have their families that are stuck. And I worked out and was able to reach out. And I, I think he might get mad at me dropping his name on this, but I was able to reach out to Chad Robichaud, who was doing amazing work out there. And if anybody doesn't know who he is, you should look him up. And uh, I believe we were able to connect some people and he was able to get them out. It was and is an awful I can't tell you how many veterans that I heard from who were just so distraught, just suicidal over what happened. It was, I don't think I slept for five days because I was talking to people all over the world and we were bouncing uh, as much as we could information. And, you know, we were hearing what was happening on the ground and I was, I was getting some opportunity to observe some chatter on that. And it's awful. Um, we failed so, so, so horribly. We, we, you know, we have promised, everyone asked me, oh, would you go to war in Ukraine? We, we made a promise to Ukraine to defend it. We made promises. You, you either keep your promises or you don't. I, I don't want to go to war ever again. And the way you avoid a war is to be so damn strong that nobody would think about, it. not a single person would think about coming up and even flicking a rock onto your driveway because they know that you were going to come out and squash them. You're going to squash him and make an example of it. You were the, you just know. And we, I don't understand why we abandoned uh, Bagram. Uh, it was a secure airport that had multiple, uh, I mean, it was an airport you could have locked down and done an orderly transition. I, I, I mean, faulting someone for wanting to leave there is not the problem. Uh, but faulting the withdrawal and how chaotic it was. And that, you know, they say, well, we gave people plenty of time. How did you give special visas, military visas to school children? Was it May or June? They were given visas to travel to Afghanistan, dozens of them with their parents. I mean, that's, was, that doesn't sound to me like you were telling people, uh, we're about to abandon this and leave you to be sold off or murdered. I mean, that doesn't sound, sound like to me. 
And the selling and off is very serious. That is it's very serious. Yes. And and it's not even a joke. It's that's what's happened. That's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing that I'm hearing awful things that I don't even want to repeat because they're that I know. And we abandoned them. We failed them. This administration, period, failed so many of our allies that if I were an ally of the United States while Joseph Biden is president, I would question whether or not we could ever count on any promise. If I was Taiwan, I'd be reaching out for new friends. If I was Israel, I'd be reaching out for new friends. If I was uh, South Korea, I'd start asking myself, can I withhold, uh, withstand North Korea on our own? It's that serious. Japan has to start asking themselves whether or not they need to build an offensive military. And people are going to say, no, that's not true. Is it? Is, it, is there a level of a, a red line, Obama, that we're going to put down? You know, is it only how many citizens are killed by gas or is it just one? Because the line is one, if that's what you say it is. And this is the second president out of that administration, out of the Obama administration that has been feckless, weak, has been ineffectual, has not understood what, what American might is. And that's the ability to project power and squash anyone who even thinks about it. We don't have that anymore. That's it. And I, I Soleimani was when he was bombed. They all whined about Trump. And I got to tell you, did you hear anything after about uh, Iran after that? Did they go and try and launch any more missiles after that? I mean, yes, they did an attack, but did they keep it up or did they really just go tuck tail and run? Because I remember pictures from Obama's administration with sailors sitting on their hands and knees, waiting to be executed by Iranians. And waiting to be traded and their equipment going through. You know how embarrassing that is? I don't even know what to say. Yeah. I, I Well, I appreciate what you're saying on this. I think it's been, that period was very emotional for the entire country because we watched <laughs> fellow citizens be treated like they didn't matter. And no. the, the suicide rate within inside the military has skyrocketed. Well, not just in the military, it's everywhere, but particular in the military, it's been like that for a long time. And then you have the government treat these people like that. You wonder why, well, it becomes obvious why the military suicide rate is so high. What would you say about that? Because that was the one thing that Trump did well on is the military really liked him and you started turning around the way these vets were treated. And now we've gone not only backwards, but we've gone worse than anything we've ever seen before. So I think there's important just for a, uh, the distinct difference between the VA health system and VA hospitals. Um, because oftentimes the VA uh, hospitals have one, they, they've worked very hard to improve the quality of staff. Now I'm not saying everyone, uh, I'm saying that many of them have chosen to raise their standard of care. Uh, and oftentimes it the fact that it's such a large system, uh, they, no matter how much they zone it out, uh, a lot of their projects for uh, modernizing hospitals get drawn out and care becomes something where you're going to four facilities for five years because, you know, they're building a new hospital. There's lots of things we could fix. The administrative side, however, the VA healthcare administration, they are what drives a lot of the problems that you see, the access to care. Uh, the network size. There is no reason a single veteran 
at all should wait more than a minute for emergency behavioral health care, no longer than 24 hours for sustained care and behavioral health issues, and uh, no more than a week for regular scheduled appointments, meaning they should be able to find a doctor, get you in to see someone immediately to stabilize you, get you into a regular appointment within 24 hours, and have regular care established regardless of what it is within seven days. If they can't do that, then either they don't have the resources or they don't, or they're spending money in the wrong areas. And it doesn't matter what the problem is. Uh, they need to fix that standard because every veteran lost a suicide when it was preventable is a hero and a warrior that we lost forever and will never gain back. And that's unacceptable. And many of these people are, are suffering under a lack of, of, uh, their VA benefits are being stalled. Their social security benefits are being stalled. They're not being heard. And I think we have the ability to address that. I, I'm going to do it in my district by simply just putting a trained person in every single county and then having week, uh, weekly huddles to make sure that any problems anyone faced that were unique are shared. I don't think it's hard to build these networks and, put in, and implement these systems and to do it without spending money because there are many people who would like... Uh, to volunteer with like college credits who are working towards certification and would like to uh, apply those resources. I mean, it's what we've done in civil affairs. It's to utilize every bit of, of organic resource you can to solve problems. And oftentimes just use your seat at the table uh, to open up that Rolodex and bring people out. Well, I've mapped out how many people have committed suicide in the military. And I've had different veterans on and different people throughout the years. And we have lost more people to suicide than we have in every war except World War II at this point. And I think that that might be starting to catch up too. It is, I mean, I, I can't overstate how serious this is when the people that you lose is more than what you've lost in every other war. And those are like battle, you have to look at it as a battle loss. If they got those injuries in battle. Those are mental injuries from being in the military. And, and then we lose them because we don't care for them. And um, so, yeah, the, the injuries just keep mounting. If you're going to be forgiven the sins of the past, it means that you learned your lessons and you, and you sin no more. That's the goal, right? And if you do sin, you, you want to make sure it's not as egregious, that you're worried, that you're showing that you're improving. Vietnam is the perfect example of what we did to our, how we failed our veterans. I would like to think we've progressed since then, but I don't think the metric is uh, how society talks about uh, PTSD and other issues like that. That isn't the metric. The metric is the care you actually provide them. And quite frankly, I don't think we've come nearly as far as people would like to pretend that we have. And it's, or the results, it, right? The results right. of the care. Yes. Civil affairs, we use a metric. It's called a measure of effectiveness. And are, is the suicide rate dropping at a rate commiserate with the money and program and time we've spent trying to attack the issue? If the answer is no, it means that you need to start over and, get, and, and fix it, period. There is, I mean, it's so crazy to me that they'll shut down the entire country uh, over uh, Omicron or whatever it is. But Veteran suicide doesn't get nearly uh, the attention that does. I don't understand it. Yeah, and I suppose you being part of the military, I guess that would, I can't even imagine how hard that would be 
watching your fellow soldiers be suffering like that and then not getting the care that they need. Well, they all suffer. And if you can provide them with early intervention, then you, uh, you see the spiral that many of them go through. And that's why it's so important. No one should, you know, we're taught to look for the signs within each other, but within the military structure, it's often seen as a last resort to go see behavioral health. And our chaplains are not trained to do that. And uh, they're checked to check for morale, but even they are restricted down due to so many limitations. I mean, gosh forbid that somebody come and talk about their religion or, or excuse me, talk uh, about you, about talk to you about faith through the lens of their own religion. Like, oh my gosh, that's so hard. But they've been um, uh, lassoed up and they can no longer go out and do what they need to do. Um, and we don't have anyone out there being proactive to stop these spiralings, to go in and talk to people. And I don't mean in a, in a PowerPoint presentation. I mean, one-on-one -on -one as a human being. And we don't have those resources. We have them available. We just don't use them. And therefore, oftentimes before you have the uh, chance to uh, provide any intervention, it's too late. And you're only talking about it after the fact. And that's or, or when they've gone so far that you can no longer make uh, get them back um, into their position so they feel ostracized and then it prevents other people from, do you see what I mean? Like, so when you turn around and don't get early intervention, everyone sees the stigma that goes with it because they go, well, John got sick and they took him away from the unit and he's now leaving the military. And so they go, well, gosh, I don't want to say anything because I don't want to end up like John. Instead of coming over here and saying, well, we got Susie the early help. And now we, uh, I go, you know, Susie went and talked to them. She's back on the line and there's no issues. And there's no distinction for service members. It, it's always this one and they panic and, and it just exacerbates the problem in my opinion. Well, let's talk about uh, religion because sure. you said that they're being tied up, you know, the chaplains and stuff. I just saw a report, <clears throat> I heard a report that said that when suicide and people are struggling, when they're able, whatever their religion is, I'm not going to judge people for this, but when they're able to use their faith or use something greater than themselves to help them get through it, the chance of getting through it is astronomically better. I don't remember the stat on it, but it was so much better that it, it makes a difference. So why would they hamstring the chaplains and other people from the religion aspect. I shouldn't say religion is a spiritual aspect of that. You know, I was talking to some people and I asked them, are you aware uh, what the average soldier, the average soldier spends more time taking, and I, and I use this word very carefully, woke classes uh, annually than they do training on their weapon systems. Uh, meaning rifles, pistols, their their uh, artillery, their cruiser weapons. They spend more time in those classes than they do learning uh, to defend this nation. That's, I mean, the metrics that commanders are judged by are weighted more heavily towards uh, whether it be sexual harassment or transgender classes or. Um, you know, I, I just fill in the blank. There is no interaction anymore. There is no uh, ability for anybody to sit here and say, what is important? What are, what are we, what are the foundational pieces of what make us all warriors? And, and instead we spend so much time worrying about not offending each other. And 
faith is a massive thing that Pete, that all military members, anybody who's been in, in, a, in a foxhole or in a, a shelter, um, you know, artillery, it doesn't matter where you've been. If you haven't thought about your faith and where you sit in the universe, then uh, you probably weren't in a very dangerous position. I'll just say that. And, and it's okay, whatever your faith is, but it is a huge part of who we are. Now I think they're scared to talk about it. They're scared because they don't, are they aren't a Wiccan or something? I'm not making, if you, if you want to be a Wiccan and burn straw people or whatever they do, then go do that. I'm not making fun of you. I don't care what your religion is. But we could sit together and talk about the idea of, of believing in something bigger than you and, and how that's an anchor in your life without us crossing swords over what the tenets of your religious faith are. And, and when you take away that from a unit, when you can't even have a, found, a, a, a prayer before you go into battle without worrying about hurting somebody's feelings and how that's gonna look on your OER or your NCOER, uh, your, your fitness reports, then, then we've reached a point where I don't understand who we are because uh, as a society, Socially, religion is such a huge part of, of the fabric of your society. It's a huge part of your moral foundation. And when you remove it completely, um, people feel lost. And, and, when, and, and you see it in the numbers that you get. Um, it's similar to how people are ostracized now by uh, technology. You know, they don't spend time talking anymore, interfacing. They, they sit here and look at a screen. This interview will look right here is different than if you and I uh, were meeting in person. And, and, and we know that it's, it changes our empathy. It changes how we interact with one another. And we're failing people, I think, in communication right now. Yeah. And when you see the numbers, when they can't connect to something bigger than themselves and solve and work through their emotional issues, then we really, it's just time to rethink things, right? You said becoming a adult. I adult, I just, if we could have adult interaction, I think I would be floored because I haven't seen adult interaction for a long time. We, we need to grow up. Like, let's give you an example real quick. Okay. So you said earlier, we were talking about immigration. I made my whole, I don't know anything about your husband or kids. I, I actually make it a point to not look up people before I talk to them because I don't want it to color the things that I say. You responded with where your husband and children came from. A lot of people would sit there and immediately start backtracking. Well, I didn't mean, I just sat here and listened to you. I wanted to hear what you had to say. And then you, it turns out, you know, we agree on a lot of things. You were just merely stating the point you came from and also uh, a view you wanted to ask me and specifically how it impacted you. That's a good adult conversation. We don't worry about offending each other. We talk it out. And if there was something that I said that you might've slightly disagreed with or saw that I, I said it differently, um, you would understand, I'm sure we're going to get to it and that he didn't mean it in a way that I should, that should trigger me and make me so offended. It's, it's bizarre that we aren't adults anymore. You know, I said earlier, and someone's going to probably jump on it. I'm not saying they're not, not Nazis. Obviously, I'm not calling someone a Nazi. It's just, this is where we've devolved to in our interaction, our communication with one another. It's idiotic. Uh, we have to say inflammatory things to get someone's attention and then walk it back. If you say something inflammatory, stand by it. But if you really want to commute, uh, communicate with people, say the hard truths, admit where your own faults are, find solutions to problems, use methods that we know. It's not hard. Well, my thing, and this is something I've been advocating for a long time, is we need people who are sincere, have integrity, and really care to get to the bottom of the issues. 
And if, if they have um, a, a heart, they have empathy. I, I, I didn't care what your opinions are. Cause I know that I would have the opportunity to tell you what I thought and, and deep into get into some deep issues. And, and if you have a heart and you have some empathy, you're going to want to look at dealing with some of these things. I know that. And so there's no, it, that's why I look at the character of the person. And that's why it's so important. And I, I, before we got on the interview, I talked about Cynthia McKinney, who was, um, was always characterized as the far left. And um, I made fun of her, you know, we talk a lot with friends and, right. you know, she, she had an ethics person on her council or her staff, because everything she did, she wanted to make sure was ethical. Well, they didn't like her because she was questioning 9-11 and questioning things. And they redid her boundaries of her area so that she would be out of office. And they, they screwed around with the, the campaign. So she, they fixed it essentially. And I talked to her about stuff and, and I, I laughed at her because I told, she said something about making sure that every single transaction has a meaning point to, you know, from a financial standpoint and that you can track every single thing and that every financial needs to have a purpose. And I said, now you sound like a far right nut job like me. <laughs> I'm not far right. I always thought I was in the middle. I'm, I'm accused I, of being far right. Right. But, but you know, but else my, make a false dichotomy. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but my point is, is that anybody who's out there trying to just be a decent person ends up getting pushed out and you have to fight hard or it's hard to win. My question, and this is the elephant in the room with all the cheating that happened in the last election. And we know that it was, there were a lot of races that I don't believe, including the president, because my background, I'm a systems engineer. I saw the data. I looked at the data. I talked to a lot of people that looked at the data. Uh, it's not just the, the fraudulent ballots. It's the systems, the data that were flipped. We saw the data getting flipped. How are you going to make sure that you have a fair election? Because you won't get an office. If you're a good person and can't be blackmailed, are you going to be able to win? And how are you going to make sure that your election is going to be fair? So regarding the previous election, I, I will say this. I, I'm a soft science guy, but I, I do know statistics. And I know what a statistical anomaly is. And I think that uh, everyone's going to jump on that. And they're going to say, oh, you think whatever. Or we should re-legislate the last election. And I'll just merely point to one other thing. Just five years ago, Democrats were, were up in arms saying that the 2016 election was stolen. Um, nothing came out of the 2012, the 2008 election. I think everybody kind of agreed that uh, uh, Obama had the momentum. Uh, 2004 and 2000, they argued that it wasn't really won. Uh, they've constantly brought up the election. Uh, so, so I guess my point is there are both sides, it's very funny to have a nonpartisan issue. Are our elections secure? The answer is no. no neither side believes that. That's not controversial to say that. We, we not, nobody has any faith in their elections right now. It's just a matter of who's currently uh, uh, winning or who's been trending towards victories that people kind of go, well, okay, you know, your turn right now. That's ridiculous. Either we're, either they're fair and free elections or they aren't. 
Yep. That's it. Now, I don't want to change anything about our republic. Uh, I, I, I think the setup of our republic is designed to slow the wheels of the federal government, and, and we do need to go back to those roots. So when I say I don't want to change it, I mean, I want to go back to the way we were designed by the Constitution. But when it comes to our elections, we owe it to every single American. We owe it to every single warrior. Uh, we owe it to the family of every single warrior who ever died uh, defending our unique republic that every single vote is clearly uh, marked for a candidate and clearly counted and able to be audited. So how do we do that? Well, first, I think that after every single uh, federal election, um, every state should be audited, period. It's not about who's doing it right or wrong. It's about the fact that if even one bit of cheating, uh, if any uh, uh, tomfoolery, um, any dog face pony soldier or whatever he says uh, turns around and does something that 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 messes with the vote that person should see the full weight of of the judicial system weight on them there should be no cheating period um, we need to go back to paper ballots we need to have voter id period india has voter id as a matter of fact we're the only first world nation that doesn't have voter id mandatory we have voter id here in texas but Mandatory. And by the way, people, because of the unique nature of our republic, people in Texas should not have to worry about whether or not people in California are following the law, especially when the other party keeps saying that that they win the popular vote all the time, which has nothing to do with anything. But I wonder how many Republican votes aren't counted or how many people don't go to the polls because they think their vote doesn't get counted. Uh, I think that we need, uh, you know, in Afghanistan, they use ink on their fingers and it's permanent and it stays for like five days. You don't need a sticker that says I voted. You got a hand that says I voted. Uh, so uh, everyone should, why not something like that? Like how, why is that a ridiculous concept? Why is a national holiday for a federal election a ridiculous concept? That's not. We have holidays for so many things. I, I see no problem with moving a federal holiday uh, every uh, two years for uh, federal elections in November. Um, I, I think these are simple fixes. And I think that if any state tries to stop that uh, audit, then you, then you take away their ability to count the election, period. I don't care if it's a Republican or a Democrat. And finally, I think that there should be no private money whatsoever involved in the elections process. And I, I mean the actual electioneering, not the campaign process. Um, I think that money in politics is a whole separate thing we need to tackle. But I think that's a simple change to say that Facebook should not be allowed to give money to elections and then dictate through their multimedia companies what is uh, uh, truthful and untruthful information and then silence voices. Think about, I mean, talking about a monopoly on information and, uh, and being able to influence an election, that's ridiculous. So I think those are simple things. And they, they argue about conspiracy theories where they keep acting in ways to promote that. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, not even a question. You guys, they, they look like idiots when they say that. <laughs> it's like, well, yes, that's exactly yeah. right. Well, let's ask you about what's behind you. You have this interesting sign behind you, and I want to know what that says. It looks like Morris Code. Oh no, that's just a that's just a flag up there that I brought with me, and some books and caps I have. Uh, just a piece of art. Nothing yeah, but back. what's what's below it? Oh, just yeah, just it's a light, piece of light art that um, that we made for the house. I I think it's really nice. Yeah. I'll, I'll oh, okay. figure it out. Anybody's a Morse code aficionado, they can figure it out. 
Okay, we'll have my listeners tell me what it says. That's funny. <laughs> well, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I enjoy doing. I, I enjoy uh, uh, communicating with uh, people like those, uh, like ice skaters who have like the little wink or something when they're. I don't. Again, I'm going to accidentally make a white supremacist symbol, but I see ice skaters do that stuff, so I don't know. Maybe that's it. Yeah, you got to make sure that with the symbol stuff, you got to be really careful because I don't even I did. know. Or like I'm in I Texas, know. you know, I'm in Texas and luckily I'm in Baylor area because if I had to do a UT, people are gonna say that I'm a part of a new world order or something. And you that's symbology. Really careful, I know. I use symbology all the time, which is funny uh, that I would argue that I do it on Twitter all the time. I should tell you, I, I did am I supposed to do a promotion here where I say go to Jason Nelson for congress.com. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> yeah, you gotta tell us where we can support you. Uh, well, um, so people should, uh, we have a website, uh, it's, it's, uh, we have actually a very nice website coming out in two days, uh, but it's uh, jasonnelsonforcongress.com. Uh, there's also a storm for the number four uh, congress.com. Uh, uh, my Twitter handle is, uh, is at storm for congress, that's S-T-O-R-M, the number four, and then congress. Uh, I'm called storm chaser online. I, it's actually been my call sign for 20 years, so it's kind of funny, but uh, I just go by storm. And then, um, yeah, we need money and volunteers. Everybody needs that for a campaign. It's embarrassing to ask for it, but I'm going up against a do-nothing rhino who's been in for 22 years, uh, only two years in this district. And uh, lucky for us, they redistricted and we've incorporated a lot of Eastern counties that uh, are, are very conservative, the kind of conservative that I think want to see uh, People go to Washington who actually work, and that's exciting. Um, it's exciting to be a part of this movement. There are so many people involved with the campaign already, and uh, uh, doing things like this, being able to talk with you, which is kind of neat. Uh, I don't like to be all fanboy about things, but uh, I enjoy the experience and the opportunity. So thank you very much. Well, you're welcome. You've been great. Thank you so much for joining me today. And uh, make sure you send me those links, and I'll put them up with all the with the show. Absolutely. I know that I have my campaign manager and our social media uh, coordinator is going to like kick me right now. I'm doing the worst promotion ever. I should like hold up a t-shirt or something, but I'll have uh, it up on the screen. That'll be fine. People know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank uh, you. I really appreciate this, Jason. And um, good luck. I'm not in your district, but we need more of you. We need warriors out there fighting and fighting hard because it is, um, like we said, the swamp is a very friendly term for what it really is. Well, you know what washes away swampy water? Storms. Oh, very good. There you go. There you go. There's your slogan. Yeah, right. <laughs> the, the storm to Washington to act like an adult. I don't know if that might be so. I like you've the adult. It, you've been it on a bus. That's, a, that's what that's for. So many people have to drive by slowly. Uh, I, the rule for a slogan is if my six-year-old can't read it, it's too long. So uh, no polysyllabic words, I think. <laughs> so, thank you for having me on. Thank You're you welcome. so much. And if anybody does have any questions, I'll, I'll send you the links. But I feel, I'm, I'm really proud of our campaign. And uh, I'm so excited to get to Washington, D.C. Uh, uh, 40s a week and work with other people who uh, just want to get stuff done. I mean, really, we can do it. So thank you again.